Matthew chapter 11, and we'll read verses 7 down through 9 here. The Bible says, And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitude concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. Now, to be clear, Jesus here is making sure everyone understands the manhood of John. Emphasizing the manhood of John. And he does so by contrasting John's clothing against those men in king's houses that wear soft clothing. We'll talk about what that word soft means in just a moment. But uh, we have two more family month sermons that got pushed back because of my trip. And we're going to look at one of those this evening. And the title of it is this, Does God Care What I Wear? Does God Care What I Wear? Let's pray. Lord, tonight I ask that you'd help us as we look at some biblical principles that will help guide us through this topic that you'd help us to be mature in our outlook and take the message to heart and have a very tender spirit, Lord, toward uh, pleasing you with, uh, with, with how we dress ourselves. And so, Lord, as we look at a topic that is sensitive, a topic that is mishandled by many churches, may the way it's handled here tonight in every way please you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Here in Matthew, Jesus is describing the type of clothing that people participating in a pagan king's house wear. Alright? You see that word there in verse 8? It's found there twice. It's the word soft. A A man clothed in soft raiment. Behold, they that wear soft. If you look at that next word clothing in the King James Bible, you'll see it's italicized. And it's put there uh, uh, to help bring clarity. Uh, uh, soft clothing or soft are in king's houses. They that wear soft are in king's houses. Now, the word soft there, if you look at, it, when I study my Bible, what I like to do is find the root word and see where else it is used in the Greek New Testament and uh, how else it's translated. The exact same Greek word that's translated soft twice here in uh, verse number 8 is translated effeminate three other times in the New Testament. What he's saying is John wasn't an effeminate man and he didn't dress in effeminate clothing. God is describing a clothing that is effeminate that a man can wear, and he is speaking of it in a negative connotation. Jesus is rather. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 7, verse number 10 with me, if you will. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse number 7. Here Solomon is talking to uh, his son and preparing him. Uh, book of Proverbs really is about taking a simple one and leading him to the land of wisdom and helping him to avoid becoming a fool and a scorner. And so he gives a very descriptive story in Proverbs 7 about a young man who ends up getting in bed with a harlot. Look at verse number 10. It says, And behold, speaking of the simple one, Proverbs 7, verse 10, And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart. So the Bible here is saying that uh, there is an attire that belongs to a harlot, a woman of the night. Uh, So the Bible speaks negatively about wearing effeminate clothing for men, and it speaks negatively about women who dress in a way that would label them a harlot. Does God care what I wear? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Now, uh, I, I asked a pastor once at a church I attended as a teenager, actually. I asked him why he did not speak up more on this topic. When I was a teenager, I was not afraid to just ask the pastor any question I wanted. And I, sometimes I'd ask him a question, he'd kind of laugh and then take a minute and then answer. I think he was laughing because he was shocked at how brazen I was in my questions. Um, but I asked him, and, he, and, and, and this is a topic that that church and as a pastor, he, he, he won't touch. And his answer to me was this. Well, it's not really talked about specifically in Scripture. 
And so I gave that a lot of thought. I've given that a lot of thought since I was a 16, 17-year-old boy. Why doesn't the Bible have more to say about the way we dress? And, and because it's not talked about as much as, say, prayer or loving, uh, or loving others, loving God, uh, does that mean that God, in essence, doesn't care? And I would say God does care what we wear. Um, here's why I believe it's discussed less in the Bible than, it, say, if the Bible had been written today, it would probably be uh, more descriptive. Um, the dress code wasn't as much of an issue when the Bible was written. For the most part, men and women were covered by their culture from their collarbone to their ankle bone, uh, down to their wrists. And so there wasn't a need uh, to regularly tell folks to dress in a way uh, that was modest. And let me ask this question to kind of make my point. Does God care whether or not a person smokes cigarettes? Is it talked about in the Bible? Can anyone show me a verse in the Bible that says, Thou shalt not smoke cigarettes? It's not in there. How about smoking pot? Anywhere in the Bible, the Bible says not to ingest or inhale marijuana. I don't think you're going to find it in there. Is that a healthy thing to do? No. No. Some things the Bible leaves up to the reader... To understand the Scripture's biblical principles and apply those principles in such a way. 1 Corinthians 6 says what? Verse 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? For ye are not your own. Now keep that in mind. Ye are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God with your body and uh, with your spirit which belong to or which are God's, property of God's. Now, I could uh, take the time and cover this from the angle of uh, the temple in the Old Testament. How did they How did they dress the temple? Did they do it in cheap, baggy-looking clothing? No, they layered it in gold in the finest of materials. And if our bodies are the temple of God, then boy, we ought to be really, really careful how we decorate those uh, with our clothing. But the point I'm making here back to cigarettes is if my body belongs to God, then I should probably not be puffing on a cigarette and shortening my lifespan since God wants me to treat my fleshly body as though it is the temple where His Holy Spirit lives. We use something called a biblical principle to help us understand that smoking cigarettes are wrong. And tonight what I would like to do is point to ten biblical principles that help guide us and uh, as a family, you as a family unit, on this journey of wearing clothes that please the Lord. Wearing clothes that please the Lord. So, I'm going to give you three main thoughts tonight, and I'm going to list for you ten biblical principles that collectively ought to help you make up your mind. Now, let me just add this in before I get uh, into the biblical principles, all right? Uh, uh, churches, especially of an independent Baptist nature, have been labeled as legalistic for touching this topic. And I want to address that just for a minute. First of all, for a church to be legalistic, that means they teach and preach that you work your way to heaven. We don't teach and preach that you work your way to heaven. Ladies, the truth is you could dress like a hussy every day from here to the grave. And if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're still going to go to heaven. That's truth. You could hang out in the beach in bikini every day between now and the day you die. If you're saved, you're saved. And that's not going to change. So let me be clear. We're not legalistic here. All right. What they mean when they say that we're legalistic is that we we enforce rules and standards on a level that is out of balance with the Bible and we force our standards on other people. Now, let me be clear that that has been done by a lot of Baptist churches. And I have attended many of them that have done that. I have been in Christian camps. And I don't mean like go to a camp in the summer. I mean a group of churches that kind of uh, interconnect. I've been a part of Christian camps that have had a forceful, here's my high standard, let me ramrod it down your throat attitude. If you've uh, been attending here long enough, you know that that is not 
at all what I'm attempting to do or trying to do. By no means tonight am I going to tell you that you need to hold to a particular standard. But what I am going to do is I'm going to give you a whole bunch of biblical principles and I hope you'll take these to heart and I hope you'll see that every principle I cover is biblically sound and you will let the body of work of these ten principles help guide you and govern you to proper clothing as a Christian. Now, I do not want anybody here to look at the way Mrs. Lejeune and April Lejeune and Matthew Lejeune and Pastor Lejeune dress and decide that that must be Bible. You must get there as a family, and if you're not in a family, you must get there as an individual on your own. You must set that standard, not between yourself and the pastor, you must set that standard between you and your Heavenly Father. So tonight what I'm going to do is I'm going to hold the Bible high. We're going to look at a whole bunch of Bible verses, and this is as much going to be a Bible study as anything on the topic of clothing. So let me give you three uh, uh, general uh, thoughts and then ten principles that will fit below those general thoughts. We're going to try to finish on time here. We'll do our best. Number one, notice gender distinction. Gender distinction, all right? Let me give you the first principle here. Principle number one, embrace... Your gender. Embrace your gender. Now, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Let's, uh, let's turn the pages of our Bible tonight. Let's let the Word of God do the speaking for us this evening. Genesis chapter 1, verse number 27. How many genders are there? Two. Okay, I'm not going to get into all the madness of the day. Can we just all agree there's two genders? And that that was predetermined at birth? Or rather predetermined in the womb? Okay, you don't get to pick and change after you're born. We all clear on that? Okay, Genesis 1.27, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So there are males and there are Females. That's the two genders. All right, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse number 22. Deuteronomy chapter number 5, verse number 22. For sake of time, when I get there, I'm going to start reading. I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 5. I got that inverted. When I get to, uh, For the sake of uh, the, uh, speed tonight, I'm going to read as soon as I get to the passage. If you're behind me, you just have to catch up when you get there. The Bible says, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. So, what is Deuteronomy 22.5 getting at? What it's getting at is that men should dress like men, and women should dress like women. Now, why? Why? Because, and this is really key here, clothing brings distinction. Does everybody understand that this evening? Clothing brings distinction. Um, If I were to put on a blue-collared shirt and a pair of khakis and hang out in the Best Buy, how long do you think it would be till someone asked me a question? Now, why? Because that clothing is distinguishing me as looking like a Best Buy employee. Now, does your clothing... Make you look like the gender that God gave you to be. Um, If I'm walking behind you a hundred yards and I see you, I ought not have to look twice to figure out your gender. You know why? Because when a woman dresses like a man, it blurs the lines of distinction of the gender God made you to be. And when a man dresses like a woman, unfortunately that's happening more and more. It blurs the lines of who God made him to be. And what it is, is it's a woman saying, I'm not content to look like what you made me to be, God. Or a man saying, I'm not content with who you made me. Gender distinction. Principle number one, embrace my gender. Hey, can I just say tonight that even the public restrooms have it figured out. You ever see those mannequins on the bathroom doors? One's a man 
and one's a woman. And based on the dress, you can tell which is which. So women dress like women and men need to dress like men. That's principle number one. Principle number two, or let me, rather let me give you heading number two, or point number two. Notice, appropriate. Our clothing needs to be appropriate. Principle number two, to please the Lord above all. To please the Lord above all. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Flip over there with me if you will. 1 Corinthians 10.31. If you get there before I start reading, that means you're faster than the preacher. Amen. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do. Does, does getting dressed fit under the category of whatsoever ye do? Yes or no? Alright, that fits under the category. Do all... To the glory of God. You know what a good habit... This probably would just fix the whole problem right here. Good habit to get in is every morning when you go to get dressed, stand in front of your closet and look at your clothing and say, Lord, if I put this on, is it going to please you? Is it going to bring you glory? And if you're really honest, then uh, I think that changed a lot of what a lot of Christians wear. Um, I loved what uh, Brother Snipes shared with us this morning out of John chapter 8, verse 29. And, uh, and I'll just read the verse again. He said, I do, he read about Jesus saying, I do always those things that please Him or please the Father. And everything we do, including what we put on our bodies, including how we dress. And I'm not just talking to the women, guys. I'm talking to the men as well. Everything we do, however we get dressed, it ought to please the Father. Now, uh, the Bible says, uh, let, uh, let your moderation be known unto all men. You know what that word moderation means? It means appropriateness. Let your appropriateness be known unto all men. And so, uh, we've been commanded to be appropriate in what we're wearing. Now, the general theme I want to cover on this point of being appropriate is this. We have a society, especially our youth, but unfortunately it's trickling into those in their 20s and early 30s and uh, somewhat even above that age level that has a I can wear whatever I want whenever I want attitude. If I want to go to the store and I want to dress frumpy, then I'll go to the store and dress frumpy. If, if I want to go to a funeral in my sweatpants, I'll go to a funeral in my sweatpants. Now, I've not seen it get that extreme, but can we just all understand, that's the trend. That's the direction we're going. Um, and so God has called us to be appropriate. So, principle number two, to please the Lord above all, does my, does my dress embrace my gender? Does my dress Please the Lord. Principle number three, to prefer others. To prefer others. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 17 with me, if you will. Hebrews 13 uh, and verse number 17. Now, uh, before we read the passage, let me just say that different cultures around the world uh, have different preferences. If you were to get on a plane and fly to Korea and you were to go visit in a Korean home, you know what they'd expect you to do? They'd expect you to take your shoes off at the door. You know where you would eat dinner? You'd sit on the floor and eat dinner. It's just very different in, in different regions of the world. Are you going to walk in and say, well, that's not how I'm used to doing it. I'm wearing my shoes. Well, uh, I'm used to sitting at a table. Get me a chair, please. That's not how we behave. You, you understand that when you're in somebody's house, that there's a, a way that is appropriate to behave. And you follow the customs and the cultures as they go. Uh, we don't scoff. We go, if you're mature, you go along with it. Uh, I went golfing the other day, and I know that's the, that's the stereotype for preachers, that you know, we, um, uh, we, we spend 30 minutes in the office and we play golf the rest of the week. Let me just say, that was the first time in two years I played golf. So, I don't play golf very often, but Angela's out of town, so I was able to go hit the, hit the uh, fairways and the greens. Someone called me and said, what are you doing, Pastor? I said, I'm out on visitation. They said, who are you visiting? I said, the fairways and the greens. <laughs> Amen. So, I was out, on, uh, out golfing and I... I, I uh, called my friend who I went out golfing with and I said, what is the dress attire for this golf course? How many of you here had no idea there was dress attire at golf course? 
they have a dress attire. And in most clubhouses, when you walk in there, it says no T-shirts and no blue jeans and no shorts. I had to put on khakis and a collared shirt to go play golf. That golf course is legalistic! No, no. There's a level of appropriateness that they expect. Look at, look at Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. Turn over to Romans chapter 12 and verse number 10. Again, we're looking at this principle of preferring others. When you're in somebody else's house, when you're under someone else's care, and they have a higher standard than you are used to holding to, out of respect, out of maturity, to be appropriate, we hold to that standard. Look at Romans 12.10. It says, Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love. Look at the rest of the verse. Let's read it out loud together. In honor, preferring one another. Preferring one another. Now, um, how many of you here have ever gone to a restaurant that had a dress code? Okay, sports jacket for the guys sometimes. They'll call that business casual. Right? Ladies may, may make you wear a, a dress or a skirt. Someone told me, and all, all of our Disney lovers here could confirm or deny this, but someone told me that if you show up to work at Disney and your, and your khakis are wrinkled, they'll send you home and make you iron them and, and then come back to work. I don't know if that's true or not, but knowing Disney's level of professionalism, I don't think that would surprise anybody here. Let me ask this question tonight. Now, I, I really, and this is a sincere, honest question. This isn't a zinger or a gotcha question. This is an honest question. Why will we honor employers, restaurants, golf courses, but we won't honor the Lord or the environment that represents Him? You're saying, Pastor, are you saying we ought to get dressed up to go to church? I think it's better than you come in the door dressed like you're just frumpy. We'll get dressed up to go to a funeral or a wedding. Do we have more respect for the dead than we do for the Lord? Now, I'm looking around the room. I don't see anybody who's dressed frumpy tonight. But um, I'm trying to help dictate the culture here of the dress and, and help hold it there. So principle number three, to prefer others. Principle number four, to promote spiritual maturity. Again, we're talking about being appropriate. First Timothy chapter 4, verse number 12 in your Bibles. First Timothy Chapter 4, verse 12. While you're turning there, let me just make this statement here. No responsible adult gets to dress the way they want all the time. Everybody understand that? How many have a dress code at work? Okay? I worked at Burger King when I was a teenager. I know. I survived. It was traumatic, but I made it. All right? Uh, you know, they made me wear this ugly-looking hat that said Burger King on it. And I tried to argue with them that I didn't want to wear it. And they said, you're going to work here. You've got to wear the uniform. I said, okay. I want my paycheck. So I put on the hat. Um, no responsible adult gets to dress the way they want all the time. And again, this sermon fits in our series of Family Month or the, the Christian home and moms and dads. You shouldn't let your children dress how they want all the time. There is a time for them to wear clothing that just uh, is different depending on the environment. Our clothing provides influence. Our clothing provides influence. And a, uh, a, a dress... Uh, address how I want, when I want attitude, it is self-centered, and a self-centered person has no influence over anybody. Everybody with me here? 1 Timothy 4.12 gives us parents, tells us parents, how we are to be raising our children. Look here, let no man, this is Paul speaking in a fatherly figure to his son in Christ, Timothy. Let no man despise thy youth, but... Be thou an example of the believers in word, that's what he says, in conversation. Now, the old English word for conversation is our modern day English word lifestyle. So, in what you say, in how you behave, your lifestyle, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. He says, Timothy, you're a young man, you need to have influence over the other believers 
with your example, by the speech that comes out of your mouth, by the lifestyle as a whole that you live. It needs to be that of influence. And when we have a dress how I want, wherever I want, whenever I want attitude, we limit our scope of influence on others. Mom and dad, you would do well to dress your children up when you bring them to church and dress them up when you take them out to places that dictate so. So principle number four, uh, principle number four is to promote spiritual maturity. Principle number five, to present the gospel of Christ. To present the gospel of Christ. We're going to run through a litany of verses here and then um, uh, I'll make some points. First Samuel chapter 16 and verse number 7. While you're turning there, I had a youth pastor who was more carnal in nature. I shouldn't say youth pastor, a youth worker rather, church member who is more carnal in nature. And, and he would have bristled at everything I've said so far tonight, or a good chunk of it. And I remember him quoting this verse to me, First Samuel 16, 7. And he says, God sees the heart. So it doesn't matter what's on the outside because God sees the heart. Look at verse Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. So there are a couple of conclusions we can draw from 1 Samuel 16, 7. You all with me still tonight? The first conclusion we can draw is that God sees past your clothing Past your outward appearance, he sees down into your heart. Can we draw that conclusion from this verse? The second conclusion we can draw is that man only sees the outward appearance. Is that correct? I can't see your heart. You can't see my heart. You can come in here smiling, all happy, looking, Pastor, I love Jesus. And I hope you do, but do the actions of the last week dictate you love Jesus? I can't see in your heart to know that. So does our appearance matter? It matters because that's what man sees. Turn over with me to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9. 1 Peter chapter number 2 and verse number 9. The Bible says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into this mar- into His marvelous light. He's saying here, if you are a born-again Christian, again, speaking about being appropriate in our dress, He says, uh, you are a peculiar people. Does that mean we're to walk around nerdy and strange with uh, tape on our glasses and talking out of our nose and wearing high-water pants? That's not what that means. It doesn't mean you've got to be weird. You know what it means? It means you need to be different. Um, um, you, you need to walk in a way, you need to live your life in a way that's different. Why? So that you can shine the light of Jesus in the heart of others. The way we dress can either hinder our gospel message or can help along our gospel message. Um, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 17. 2 Corinthians six seventeen. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And so that idea is that we're to come out and be separate. Now, the gospel of Jesus Christ is best presented when someone is living their life, please don't miss this, living their life in contrast to the world, not in comparison to the world. When you look like the world, talk like the world, act like the world, dress like the world, and then turn around and try to tell them about Jesus, you know what they do? They look at you and say, you're no different than me. When you dress like the Lord, talk like the Lord, walk like the Lord, act like the Lord would have you to act, and then their life comes to shambles and ruins, they turn to you and say, please tell me about what you got, because there's light in your soul and there's darkness in mine. Turn over with me to Matthew, or rather 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. Just a, a page over there. Look there, it says, Ye are our epistles written in our hearts, Known and read of all men. You know what that means? That means that people are looking at you and they're watching you. 
And based on the visage, the countenance, the the happiness of your face, based on the appropriateness of your dress, you represent Christ. You are an ambassador for the gospel of Christ. So when you dress frumpy, you are representing Christ as though He's frumpy. When you uh, dress in a way that is uh, 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 sensual or immodest, we'll get to this point in a minute, then you are not conveying a message that Jesus is pure. One more verse, Matthew 5.16. Matthew 5.16. I'm just going to quote it. It says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, here's the point I want to make about our clothing as it represents Christ. Many folks are willing, and I'm not putting this down, by the way. I'm just using this to make a point. Many folks are willing to promote sports teams, clothing brands, and secular corporations with their clothing, but not the Lord. You'll wear a hat that says, New England Patriots, you need to get saved. Amen? Amen, Brother Mark. The Giants aren't, Giants aren't much better. But uh, uh, you wear a hat that says uh, Patriots or whatever sports team you love. But if I gave you a hat on it that said White Oak Baptist Church, would you wear it? Oh, that would make me look weird. Or would it represent that you love Jesus? Would you wear a shirt that says, I love Jesus on it, if it was done in a way that was nice? Would you, uh, would you, would you wear clothing that is so modest and careful and appropriate that people take notice that you dress different and say, why does he dress that way? Why does she dress that way? Oh, they, well, they, he goes to church. She goes to church. Oh, oh. You see, even the way we dress is supposed to be different. It presents the gospel of Christ. Let me give you one more main header and then a few more um, principles here. Uh, and the third header, third point here is modest. Modest. Now, this is more of an issue for women because men are sight-oriented. Men are sight-oriented. And so, um, can you prove that from Scripture? Um, yes, Job, Job said, I have made, let's see, how's the verse go? I have made a covenant with my eyes that I would not look upon a maid to lust after her in my heart. I don't find anywhere in the Bible where a woman says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. Do we all understand that for the most part, I know there's some exceptions to this, but for the most part, men struggle with pornography, not women. Everybody understand that this evening? Okay, you with me? Why? Because men are turned on through the eye gates. Women aren't. Uh, I, I said this uh, when I preached a sermon similar to this last year, but I think it fits here, so I'll say it again. If a, if a man is cutting the grass with a shirt off, women wreck in the ditch because they're grossed out. If a woman's cutting grass in the same form, there's a wreck in the ditch, but for a different reason. You all understand that? Okay, so when we talk about modesty here, what we're, we're, who we're talking to is the ladies. Now, let me just say here as well that there are some women who would say, well, those nasty, dirty, lustful-minded men, uh, they shouldn't look at me regardless of how I dress. And to that, I'd say, you're right, they shouldn't look at you regardless of how you're dressed. Um, but are you there to throw stones at your weaker brother, or are you there to help him along not to have a problem with lust? Let's, let me give you um, a few more principles here. Principle number six, a commitment to modesty. A commitment to modesty. Turn over with me, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter number 2 and verse number 9. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9. And for those that say that modesty is not addressed in the Bible, well, I guess they've cut this verse right out of their Bible. Okay? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 9. It says, In like manner also... That women adorn themselves in modest apparel or modest clothing with shamefacedness and sobriety. That word shamefacedness means purity. With purity and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Now, what is he saying here? He's saying here that women should adorn themselves, decorate their temple with modest apparel. Now, that term modesty... Uh, is left up for debate, it's left up for discussion, what it means. So let me help uh, you tonight, give you some principles uh, here about modesty 
below this that will help you determine. All right, I'm going to say the hardest, most abrasive things I'm going to say in my message tonight is going to be right here. But please understand, I have taken the time to think through what I'm going to say. I'm not just preaching off the cuff. I'm not trying to be a shock jock or preach to get a rise or reaction out of the crowd. What I'm going to say is methodical and planned, and it needs to be said. And uh, I don't know that those in this room need it, but I do know uh, that um, uh, our society loudly needs to hear this. So here we go. Um, ladies, you might say, well, how can I know if my clothing is modest? And let me help, help you with this. Avoid clothing that is too high. That is too high. Now, uh, there are two places in the Bible, uh, one in the book of Leviticus and one, of the, I believe, in the book of Isaiah, that describes the showing of the thigh as nakedness. That's what the Bible says. That's not my standard. That's God's standard. So if you don't like that, then you need to go talk to the Lord about it. Don't throw tomatoes at me. All right? And so what would a piece of clothing be that is too high? If your skirt or dress comes up above the knee and begins to expose the thigh, the Bible labels that as nudity or nakedness. Now, I'm going to tell you this, and and, um, I think, okay, so when I first got married, my wife had no idea how men thought. didn't take her long. She figured that out. But part of the reason why my wife figured out how men think and uh, uh, behave and what their natural instincts are, is I was not afraid to tell my wife, hey, you see that woman that just walked past us dressing immodest? If I did what I wanted to do, I would be lusting after her. She's like, you're an animal. And I said, no, I'm a male. And I helped my wife to see. You know, I I just believe that if more men were as honest with their wives as I have been with mine, it would help a lot of women to be more modest in the way they dress. Clothing that exposes the thigh. As a little boy, 9, 10, 11 years old, my eye immediately caught a woman who was showing off her thigh. And uh, I'm going to say some things tonight, and some women out here might walk out of here and have a lower opinion of their pastor. And You just ought to be thankful that I'm being open and honest with you. I can remember being a 15, 16-year-old boy. We'd change for P.E. We'd come out and we'd do stretches. And I would sit in such a way where when the girls would do butterfly stretches, their, their culottes would come up halfway up their thigh and I could see their leg. And that caught my eye. You know why? Because from here up, men are very much attracted in a way that isn't appropriate. And so when you're choosing clothing that's modest, don't wear clothing that's too high. Uh, Avoid clothing that is too low. That is too low. Now, what is clothing that is too low? Please hear me loud and clear. The more, um, the more um, uh, forward and sensual and um, aggressive that society has become, the more forward and aggressive and pointed the preaching needs to be. I wish I lived 50, 75 years ago, and I didn't need to say what I'm about to say, but because the society is even beginning to leak into the way women dress at church, and I can say this because I stand behind this pulpit every week, and I look out, and I I have to deal with this on a weekly basis. Women, it is a sin to show your cleavage in public. It is a sin. What God gave you is for your husband and your husband only. So don't show it to anybody else. When a man sees your cleavage, he's immediately turned on. Every single man. And the disciplined men with character have trained themselves to look away. It is difficult to do. And so when you get up and you get dressed, cover up that area. Don't wear clothing that is too low. It's funny that when a Baptist pastor says that, it's legalistic. But when a Muslim puts in their dress code, well, that's culture. I think God has a culture for Christians that is modest and appropriate. And so, avoid clothing that is too high, avoid clothing that is too low, avoid clothing that is too loose. That is too loose. Now, there are uh, uh, blouses, ladies, you can put on that when you bend down to pick something up, uh, your blouse falls open and offers uh, men a glance at something they shouldn't see. Clothing that when the wind blows or you open up your arms, comes open and gives guys a glimpse, a peek at something they should not see. So when you get dressed, be mindful of that. And then lastly here, avoid clothing that is too tight. That is too tight. 
When I say clothing, that is too tight. Here's how I'll tell you this, ladies. If your blouse or your shirt hugs uh, the, the, the undercarriage of, of the blessings that God's given you up top, it's too tight. If you cannot reach behind the top of the back of your leg and get a big old handful of fabric, then what you're wearing is too tight. And calls attention to an area of your body that is not meant for attention to be called to. Let me just put it to you like this, alright? From the kneecap to about right here, and everything in between, ladies, was meant for your husband's eyes only, or your future husband's eyes only. So don't show it to anybody else. Because that's not appropriate for a Christian to wear. That is not the uniform that Christ has called you to wear. That is not modest. Somebody in the audience tonight, or maybe somebody listening online, is thinking, who does he think he is to tell me how to dress? And I'll just tell you this, I'm a red-blooded male. And as a red-blooded male, I know better what you should and shouldn't wear than you do. Because you don't know how we think. And so be thankful that your pastor is willing to stand up here and honestly tell you what is appropriate and what isn't appropriate. And again, I'm not getting into brands and fashions and all that, uh, all of that. And I'm not even getting into what types of garments are a sin and not. I'm going to let you figure that out with the Lord. But I will tell you this. You need to make sure that what you're wearing is not labeled by Scripture as immodest. Alright, so the principle of... Uh, uh, of, of uh, commitment to modesty. Number seven, a culture of purity. I'm going to have to move quick here. A culture of purity. I'm going to let you look up the rest of the references on your own there. They are listed. There are additional references beyond what's on that half sheet handout. You may want to scribble down. They'll be up on the screen. A culture of purity. Sexual temptation of today's youth is at an all-time high. In fact, most boys, by the time they're nine, will see far more skin, female skin, than their grandfather saw before he got married. Sexual temptation is at an all-time high. And as as church-going Christians, we need to make sure we're not contributing to those temptations. When, um, When I was an assistant pastor down in Glen Burnie, Maryland... There was a couple that attended my Sunday school class named Rob and Joyce Gorley. And they had a baby prematurely named Baby Ella. And Baby Ella was born very sick and uh, was put in the NICU unit there at the University of, of Baltimore, uh, University of Maryland in Baltimore. And so one Sunday evening after church, I drove down and I went in to the hospital to see Baby Ella and see uh, mom and dad, and I remember they had me scrub up from the elbows down. They made me wash for a certain amount of minutes to a place where I felt like I was just rubbing my skin off. And then after that, they had me put on this gown and these gloves and 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 something to cover my my head. And 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 I went in and I handled that little baby with wires all in it, and I I got to hold that baby. But even if I hadn't held it, just to being in its presence, there was this cleaned upness that I had to become before I could even be in the presence of that baby. Now, we understand that, don't we? We understand that it would have been inappropriate for me to go in having not scrubbed up first to put that young, uh, premature new life at risk. But uh, how much more important is it that we clean ourselves up to protect the purity of our youth and not expose them to the germs of temptation of sensuality around us? What I'm getting at here is that is that the church house... And home, Christian home fellowships ought to be a safe zone for our men and our children to be able to attend where temptation is not present. Principle number eight, a cheerful account. A cheerful account. Now, let me speak, speak to the leaders of our church, the youth leaders and uh, the leaders that uh, maybe the, the um, college and career class and really anybody that leads an activity here at our church uh, and is involved specifically with the youth, leaders must set the culture of dress within their ministries, not on the shifting trends, but by the principle of accountability. I'm going to stand before God one day, and I'm going to give an account to God for how Angela and April behave themselves and dress while under my care. 
I'm going to stand before God one day and give an account to Him for how I handled this topic as your pastor. Now, if you get up tomorrow morning and put the most sleazy thing on you can find and walk out of your house, I've given you the truth. There's not a whole lot more I can do. But I will be held accountable to God for how I presented it. When we have youth activities, I am held accountable as the pastor for how modest and appropriate those teenagers dress. When we have a college and career class activity, how they dress and how they behave around each other with their dress. Pastor Lejeune, because he's the pastor, will be held accountable for that one day. Dads, please hear me. You will give an account to God for how your wife and children dress one day. You say, I could never tell my wife how to dress. Then you need to grow a backbone. You need to pray. You need to seek counsel. And you need to find a kind way to address this with your wife. You say, well, my daughters are all grown up. If they're living under your roof, then they need to fall under your set of rules for what modesty is. Because you're going to give an account to God for that one day, and you need to be able to do that with joy and not with fear. Principle number nine, a consecration to Christ, not conformity to the world. A consecration to Christ, not a conformity to the world. Now, um, Romans 12.2, be not conformed to this world, be transformed. It's quoted a lot, right? And we all pretty much even have it memorized at this point. Be not conformed, stamped into the image of the world, transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may know it is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Is your clothing stamped into the image of what pleases the world, or is it transformed? You say, Pastor, but it doesn't say, let your clothing... No, it... it here's, And I hope that you get this. God wants all of you. He wants how you dress, what you listen to, where you go, who your friends are. He wants your daily habits. He wants all of it to be transformed by the renewing of of your mind. When the world looks at you, when God looks at you, does He see someone who walks in step with the world or out of step with the world? That's huge. God calls Christians to walk out of step with the world. And I see Christians every time, especially Christian teenagers, every time a new clothing trend changes, they're running back to the mall to buy the latest clothing trend. What are you doing? God didn't call you to walk in step with the world. He called you to walk out of step with the world. Why do we care more about what the world thinks about our dress than what the Lord desires? Principle number 10, a consideration of the innocent and feeble. Let's just look at one more verse tonight. Just one more. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22. I believe I left you last in 1 Timothy. So it should just be a page over, page or two over. 2 Timothy 2, 22. And again, this is being written from Paul to Timothy. So this is a man talking to another man, all right? Look here. But... Uh, rather, flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Flee youthful lusts. Flee youthful lusts. How many of you here have ever known someone who has struggled with alcoholism? Would you raise your hand? Okay, keep your hands up if you have felt pity and compassion toward them. All right? Put your hands down. How many of you here have ever known someone who has struggled with pride in such a level that it tore relationships in their lives apart? Did you hold your hand up? At some point, did you start to feel some pity for them? How many of you here have ever known someone who... Um, who had a struggle with um, something that landed them in prison. Did you feel pity for him? Keep your hand up if you felt pity for him. You know, everybody has a different set of struggles because we're all flawed. I read a statistic the other day that said that one out of every three men are addicted to pornography. 
one out of every three minutes. Now, I don't know if that's accurate, okay? But after all the counseling I've done and talking to folks I've done, I wouldn't be totally surprised, especially non-Christian men. Do you know that pornography reaches in and affects Christian men as well? Women, it's easy for you to say, well, they shouldn't, they shouldn't be that way, and they shouldn't. They shouldn't struggle with that. They shouldn't. But are you dressing in such a way that's aggravating the problem, or are you dressing in a way that's encouraging them to think in a way that's pure? And our dress ought to be in a form that's modest, that is a consideration of the spiritually feeble and the innocent. Some of you listened tonight and you said to yourself, well, that's just not for me. I have to be me. You know, that is a losing proposition of an attitude. God wants you to check your selfish will at the door and adorn yourself in a way that pleases Him. That is specific to your gender, that is appropriate, and that is modest. Here's the last thing I'll say. Please hear this. Decent dress doesn't produce a right heart. It's birthed from a right heart. I've known lots of folks who've tried to get immature Christians to dress appropriately. Or dress appropriately. Let me say this. You can clean up the outside. If the inside's filthy, the outside will become filthy pretty quick again. And so if you're here tonight and this message has challenged you in some way, then run home and get your heart right with the Lord. Don't just fix up the outside to please the preacher or, or feel like you fit at church. Have your heart right with God, and He'll teach you how to dress. Now, I want, what I want everybody here to do tonight is take these ten principles. Ask yourself this question. Were these ten principles biblical? How many feel that the ten principles I gave you were biblical? Would you raise your hand? Okay. Can you go home and let them govern how you dress, how you behave? By the way, that doesn't just apply to dress. It also applies to makeup and hair trends. It also applies to who your friends are and what music you listen to. You can take these ten principles and apply them to a lot of things. But let's, uh, let's have ourselves dress in a way that pleases our Lord. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, tonight I went much longer than anticipated. I, Lord, I hope, though, that it was well worth everybody's time. And, Lord, that you'd help us to be people that dress in a way that pleases you. No matter where we are, whether there is concrete beneath our feet or sand beneath our feet, help us to understand that we're Christians everywhere we go. The way we dress needs to please you and honor you. Lord, I pray that some men in this room would be leaders in their home. and Not just allow the females in their home to do do as they wish, but Lord, help them to be honest, forthright, and to be leaders in these areas. Lord, I pray Christian young folks, young adults and teenagers, would commit to modesty, appropriateness, and that which identifies them by their gender. And Lord, help us tonight to be a people that um, you look down on and not just see an outward appearance that looks right, but an inward heart that's right as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.